Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Baskets, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, here with Dante and Tommy, as usual. Fellas, what's new with you? Pistons basketball is new. That's what's new. Yeah. We got to watch yep. it. So it's now we get to back. actually give takeaways from an actual game. It's crazy. <laughs> this is true. Uh, I, I think that the primary takeaway is just the enormous role we're going to see uh, Rodney Magruder play this year. As, uh, as the team's starting shooting guard. Didn't even go seconds without making that joke, okay? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so let's just get right into it. Of course, first preseason game, we're recording this on, on Saturday, the, or the 9th, I guess. Yes, that's that's the correct date. So first preseason game was on Wednesday. Uh, we had to cope with the unthinkable cruelty of not being given Pistons basketball for like six months. And uh, and then having to wait another five days for the next preseason game, so uh, I'd like to talk to whoever made that decision. He's very mean. <laughs> uh, whatever the case, of course, the first game did not feature Cade Cunningham or Killian Hayes uh, or Frank Jackson. So uh, let's just launch straight into our takeaways from the game. Uh, now I know Dante, you had a a very uh, very patriotic takeaway. Absolutely, this game. I and I didn't expect to. That's what's funny. I didn't expect to. I thought uh, when the game first started, my takeaway was going to be something about Sadiq Bay because he looked really good. But by the time, you know, the buzzer sounded, I what I took away was that I was very impressed with the Canadians. So specifically Kelly Olenek, Corey Joseph and Trey Lyles, which is uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that's not typically the group of players that I would praise. But I'll I'll start with Olenek. So I thought that the difference between having Kelly Olynyk out there versus having Mason Plumlee out there is night and day. Um, I never really thought Plumlee was a good player. And much like probably 99.9% of people who watch basketball, I, I just think the age of the traditional center is dying. I think that if you can't space the floor, you better be a lead in one, two, or three other areas to really show your worth on the court. And Plumlee wasn't a particularly good scorer, rebounder, defender. Um, he could kind of pass a little bit, I guess, but as Mike duly noted and made a very good point in saying that Plumlee's creation was really only valuable on a team that lacked creation options. So those little bounce passes that he would do, yeah, maybe they were impressive on a team with no passers, but as we sort of have built the roster up a little bit and we've got guys who can make a play, it became unnecessary. So I'll trade that minimal amount of passing ability off for a guy like Kelly Olynyk, who can space the floor who can put the ball on the ground and go. You know, there were a couple times where he showed a lot of athleticism, almost like he's a power forward in a center's body, which I guess, you know, he kind of is. And I think he adds a level of dynamism. Is that a word? A dynamic to the offense that it, it just didn't have with Plumlee. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how Olenek works with some of our better players throughout the season. And Corey Joseph, got my Corey Joseph jerseys behind me. He was really good too. Um, I thought he looked better than Saban, and 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 a lot of that comes from watching these games with a critical eye now, wanting to win. You know, I, I was pretty pissed with Corey Joseph last year because I, he was playing above his skill level, and we wanted to lose games, and he was impeding that. But now that I personally want to win, or I'd like to see the Pistons pursue being competitive, I thought Corey showed that he's a pretty good floor general with the second unit, and that unit under his wing or under his leadership I think can be a very good one again. And then as for Trey Lyles, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that with him. He was pretty good. Um, I don't want to be too results oriented, 
I thought that uh, even if he didn't make the, I think he was two for two from three. And even if he didn't make those, I thought he showed a very good ability to be a relocator on the perimeter. And three for three, I think. Three for, well, there you go. Three for, he made three threes. There you go. Three for three with three threes. That's pretty good. And that's a lot three of threes. Three. So he relocated on the perimeter very, very well. He got himself open. He was a smooth passer, set smooth screens, and just was a cog in the offense that was running very, very well. So if those three Canadians can keep up that level of play for even the majority of the season, I think we're once again looking at a very talented bench unit that, why can't they lead the league in scoring again? I'm sure they could. You know, you took an already good bench unit and you made them even better. So, oh, Canada. Okay, then. Yeah, uh, I I think Lyles is pretty much just around to play secondary four spacer. Uh, like Olenek, uh, I thought pretty much like Kelly Olenek, here's the thing. He'll, he's best when used intentionally, like like with intent, put it that way. He's good at beating slower centers off the dribble, for example. He's good at finding and, and exploiting mismatches in the low post. Mm-hmm. And you've got to use him in the way that most is going to most accentuate his strengths. And uh, as you know, especially to compensate for what are some weaknesses on the defensive end. So I think basically, I mean, I think all of us agree that Stewart's going to start. And I think, yeah, Olenek will get a mix there between power forward and center minutes. It was the first game. I didn't see anything that really surprised me. Hopefully he carries over more from what we saw with him in the Rockets than what we saw with him with, uh, with the Heat and Celtics, where he was just pretty much an average role player off the bench. Uh, and uh, yeah, Joseph. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly last season, despite my irritation at how well he was playing, did grew to respect Corey Joseph for you know, mm-hmm. his, just his steadiness and, and the veteran presence he provides. Of course, yeah, he did drastically outplay his career baseline. Yeah. Tommy, what do you think? For me, this was, I, I didn't know what to expect from Kelly Olenek versus Isaiah Stewart, but truthfully, I came away a little bit, maybe not disappointed, because to be completely honest, Isaiah Stewart didn't have a very good game. Uh, his impact wasn't really felt. He seemed to step slow. Uh, he wasn't jumping well. And I think a significant part of that was the fact that he was in a boot for several weeks. And I think he only recently got back into five on five and full contact basketball. So. I'm going to attribute that to Rust, but it's something to keep an eye on. And then conversely, I was just thoroughly impressed by Kelly Olenek. That f- the second half of the first quarter where we had that scoring surge against the Spurs, I attribute that to Kelly Olenek and the spacing that he provided. The offense and the floor really just opened up when he came out there, and it was really impressive, honestly. Um, I-, I was just really happy with it because you – know, I've always kind of talked about how I really like the Miami Heat drive and kick offense. And on this first game where our two primary creators, Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham, aren't out there, uh, the offense has to be, the, the ball has to be shared by these other guys. And they really delivered. You know, they moved the ball very well. Uh, they were driving and attacking, kicking out. They were driving under the hoop and then uh, swinging it out to the perimeter. I was really impressed by that. It wasn't like a set offense that was being run, it was more like, a concept of driving kick. And I really appreciate that. It's harder to predict. Uh, it's much more difficult to defend. And it gives me faith that even if Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes aren't having their best nights, um, we're, we're okay. I mean, Corey Joseph, he really was like an engine for that second unit. I'm happy that they didn't opt to yeah. start him in the place of Killian Hayes because Casey even made a point of, 
you know, we want to preserve this first unit and the second unit. And uh, I'm really happy that we got to see some chemistry between those two. So that was my main takeaway. I wasn't expecting it. I was not expecting them to play that well uh, as a, as a team, essentially, especially against the Spurs who were very much about sharing the ball and, you know, doing that against them. I think it just highlights that to me. Uh, there was really a very impressive performance from uh, this team without their primary options. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just, this would have killed me to say six months ago, but, but I'll say it. Corey Joseph is a much better player than Saban Lee right now. You know, Saban is still very much a work in progress. And as yeah. much as I love when he goes up for those posters and I know he's going to get a few, maybe more than a few over the course of his career. And, and, and I can appreciate that this is a player that we invested in and have self-developed, you know, I'm rooting for him, but in the interest of winning games, I don't think it's particularly close. Not in the eye test, not in actual numerical production, nothing. Corey really is an engine. That's a great word, uh, Tommy, to use. He's an engine for that second unit. Not only can he sort of um, orchestrate the offense, but he can also create his own shot as well. And Saban, unfortunately, is just not reliable in that capacity right now. So I would say Saban is pretty firmly your point guard three right now maybe spend some time in the g league i don't know but i like how the bench unit is headed with Corey sort of you know orchestrating everything as i put it and then yeah the driving kick is just really good with a guy like olenic too who you know that it's it's there's a variety of things that he could do when he catches it when he catches a kick out right he could put the ball on the floor and blow by you if you're a slower footed bigger player or he could just pop one in your face so i i like the new dynamic and we're able to build upon what was already a good bench unit yeah, the uh, Corey Joseph. I mean, until we, until we see what Killian Hayes and, and Kate Cunningham can do, right now is the most established ball handler on the team. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, he's he's no slouch. I mean, he's uh, like he's struggled with ish, you know, with efficiency throughout most of his career, and and that didn't happen last year with the Pistons. And we'll see if that keeps up. But uh, he provides a sort of steadiness that I think is important to the team, even even notwithstanding his contributions as just as a veteran kind of a kind of a core guy so yeah i, I appreciate that he's uh, that he's around i was satisfied with the signing uh when it happened and yeah good for him Saban, i think is just is not ready for the nba he's, he's definitely the ability to shoot reliably from the perimeter away from being an nba player that's most likely would drop him into the second round in the first place because if you had a guy in college who's you know, even though he played three, three, I don't remember, it was three or four years of Vanderbilt. I think it was three. And was it Vanderbilt? Sorry, my memory isn't the greatest. Yeah, it was Vanderbilt. I, I believe yeah, it, it was three years. It was Vanderbilt. So, yeah, if you had a guy who was as athletic as he is and as good at getting into the line, uh, who can also shoot, you know, is, is a decent playmaker for others, that's probably a, a late first round kind of guy. So, I would say that's maybe a top 20 pick, honestly. Uh, maybe. I'm not it's sure. A reliable three point shot. He's yeah, pretty yeah, but yeah, it's and, and he that took one in that yeah. game and it looked rough. He's yeah, a ways he's, away. He's Still a ways away. And was, yeah, he wasn't summer league. Also, though, he had that those those couple of good games. I mean, he has to play on the ball. He plays a very ball dominant style, and you don't want that in the NBA anymore unless it's an extremely good player, which Saban Lee, of course, is not. But I think it's a Agreed. foregone conclusion that he's going to end up in the G League. I wouldn't say his point guard three. I'd say he's between. I mean, if we're just talking primary handlers, and Saban has to be the primary handler if he's on the floor. 
then you know he's behind Cunningham, Hayes, and Joseph, basically making points. As a ball handler, yeah. But say on the depth chart, if you just do a traditional one, two, three, and Killian is your one A, mm-hmm. you know, I would say yeah. Corey's then your one B, and Saban is your one C. And do you really need a one C active on game days? Probably not. So yeah. Oh, who knows? We'll see. I mean, the, the nice thing right now is that the the drive will be playing like twenty minutes away, so that's good. Yeah, he's actually in a good so, spot because, well, he just really quickly, he's in a good spot where he is at because we don't need him to play against the best of the best. And his biggest advantage is that he's more athletic than a lot of guys in the NBA. So if he's third string, he's probably going to have a lot more in the way of strength and hops than the guys he's going against. And that's when he's going to have the best shot of throwing down a poster dunk on somebody. So let mm-hmm. the three-point shot come along. And then when he does get minutes, he can go out there and just try to dunk on somebody and print posters. That's all we need from him right now. That's a good point. No, yeah, that's, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Let's just develop that jump shot and then we'll see where he goes from there. Yeah, There's no hurry. Yeah, I've, I've got a good opinion of a ceiling. I mean, I've said in the past that you could, well, you know, on, on seconds, you know, on seconds or on second reflection, I'll put it that way. This may not be the greatest idea. I've said in the past that, you know, that if he does develop that shot, he can play off the ball. And if he wants to, then he's a guy, if Killian Hayes doesn't work out, you can see we play next to Cade if you're money up Cade to the two. But, you know, in retrospect, I think if Cade does pan out how people hope, you want to put him on the floor at point guard next to a lot of other uh, big guys so that you can, you know, so you have that size mismatch. Whatever the case, yeah, Saban is just an example of how important it is to be able to play off the ball. Like even if the guy would have a really good time at uh, of getting to the rim and he's decent at that, I mean, just the ability to play off the ball is too important so that you don't have to lock your offense into one guy being on the ball at the same, you know, the, really all the time in order to be useful. So, yeah, I think it was more or less what we expect from Saban, just to just still has some development to do. So uh, the other takeaways. Yeah, who's know, next? Yeah. Yeah, other other takeaways. I mean, I know I know Dante, you're a big fan of Sadiq Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we get to talk about Sadiq right now? <laughs> go for it. Yeah, I, I mean, if you don't, go up. ahead. Well, no, I already gave my takeaway. Somebody give their Sadiq Bay is amazing takeaway, and it's not going to be me this time. I'll just sit back and enjoy. Yeah, go for it. We we saw Sadiq practicing this mid range turnaround in summer league, and it didn't fall. Then a lot of his shots didn't fall. Then I kind of attributed it to. Uh, maybe some fatigue from going from the regular season to USA basketball and then summer league. And he didn't really have an extended break. He came in and he shot that turnaround fadeaway really well. And I don't know, let's say 55% on mid range from that. That's still 1.1 points per game or points per possession. That's a decent shot. If Sadiq can knock that down reliably, it's useful. And in that game, he made it useful. Uh, Oh yeah. He's expanding his arsenal and that's, exactly what we wanted to see from him. I was really excited when I saw that shot in summer league because one, obviously uh, you want a guy to have more in his bag than as opposed to just being a one trick pony. So Sadiq, he, I think he did actually have uh, one like nice, strong finish in that game. I think he actually did throw down a dunk, but for the most part, Sadiq is not the kind of guy who gets to the rim uh, a lot. So for him to get there and then, established position kind of six, seven, eight feet away from the rim and then knock down that turnaround. That's a legit, that can be a legitimate option for him. He just needs to hit a certain level of efficiency. Uh, I highly doubt that it's going to be a better shot than his three ball, but it's something. And if he doesn't have options on the perimeter to kick out to, then he's not stuck. You know, he's not just going to get 
stopped with the ball in his hand. So I was really happy from what I saw from Sadiq in that game. Yeah, it's no shot is ever going to be better than a than a catch and shoot Sadiq Bay three ball. But this is like I've always said regarding Sadiq. He's never going to be a player who gets to the rim at will. But when you're stopped along the way to the basket, right? If he develops that turnaround jumper and he creates the requisite space needed to be able to hit that jumper at a relatively high percentage, that is so invaluable to the offense because you no longer know that if you hold Sadiq up and he's not able to get to the rim, he's instantly going to bail out on on trying to score, you know? And the way to compensate for not being an athletic freak who can just get to the rim at will also is by playing smart. And one of the ways that Sadiq is playing smart, and he's showing this now game after game after game, is he can leverage his size, he can leverage his basketball IQ, and he can get himself into positions to create easy baskets. So if he can seal somebody off, you know, and he creates enough space to drain that jumper, that turnaround, it's such a good tool. It really, really is. So I'm, it, it's, we want to see Sadiq expand his arsenal, and he has, but there's something about that shot in particular. Because what he did with that shot that you were just talking about, Tommy, is that he took a weakness of his and he managed to work around it so that he can still be an effective player. It's so encouraging. You know, it's so encouraging. So let's see where he builds from there to become even better. Yeah, I've talked about this in the past, you know, to play devil's advocate, so to speak. That's a really difficult shot to make efficient. You know, turnaround jumper of any kind is going to be difficult to make efficient. So it's not just the question of having it. It's the, it is the ability to do so productively uh to make it and on a, a consistent good, basis uh, on a consistent basis yeah, to make it not only a good shot but a better shot than than you know to justify him taking it rather than passing the ball to somebody else so we'll see i'm not quite as confident in his mid uh, in like it's it's unfortunate basically if you're if your secondary contribution is going to be a mid-range shot because that's very difficult to make worthwhile for anybody it's nice to see him more aggressive and i imagine he'll get a fairly long leash as far as trying new things, at least early on in the season. And we'll see how it goes. He's always going to be throughout his NBA career. He's going to be fighting uh, a battle against, as far as determining his ceiling, he's going to be fighting a battle against his really poor first step and then just generally mediocre half court foot speed. But yeah. as I've said in the past, I'd be satisfied with him just as a high volume three point shooter on high percentage plus good defense. And, you know, maybe, maybe, Catching, cutting the baskets, whatever else, and in high IQ. So, yeah, I, I don't think I don't have the expectation that he will subs- substantively improve. If he doesn't, I think he's he's still a a decent starter for a good team, and that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm just trying to pull up a quote right now. I, I don't know if either of you guys saw. I don't have the exact one here, but you guys see the the quote from Dwayne Casey about Sadiq Bay and uh, the leash that he has. No, which one? Casey said that Sadiq is going to be allowed, to, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's going to be allowed to go for 30 or 40 uh, over the course of the season. So, Dante, I thought you would be throwing a party, honestly. He's going to be allowed to go for 30 or 40 what, points? What are, what are yep. we talking, like, what, did, what is he referring to? That he could just keep shooting? He has the green light? Yep. Well, but that's, but why not? You know what I mean? Why isn't that the default <laughs> assumption? That's what I know. It's funny, but if you if you look at last season in a vacuum, Jeremy Grant was the best player, and then Sadiq Bay was the second best player as a rookie. He was so why you wouldn't give someone the green light who's shown such an ability to hit the three uh, difficult threes, mind you, at a very 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 efficient percentage 
and he's shown the requisite um, initiative to go ahead and try to expand his game from what's already a very solid base of skills. Why not? Why not give him the green light? Who's going to go put up 40 points, Killian? No, right? Sadiq has shown the ability to do it against very good teams. He's dropped a couple 30 bombs already. As he gets bigger, as he gets stronger, as he adds more tools to his arsenal, I don't see any reason why he can't be that guy. And it's, it's, I don't know. You, you guys always give me pushback on it, and I can appreciate the back and forth, but I think you're underselling his potential because athletic ceiling is certainly a factor to consider. Mike, you're absolutely right. That's something he's going to be fighting against his whole career. But someone with, the, I can't stress this enough, someone with a high basketball IQ who's clever and who finds ways to work around their shortcomings can absolutely become a 20 points per game scorer, you know? I think he could achieve well, that mark yeah. this season. I really do. That's a lot to ask. 20 points yeah. per game. That's a that's a small population of players who do that. I also just want to note, he actually didn't do too well on difficult threes last season. It was largely just uh, open catch and shoots. When, yeah. Like, yeah, when you got his uh, his defender pretty tight, he just in the first place, he took very, very few of those. And 34.5% is not bad. But and we're talking two to feet away, two to four feet away for his defender, rather. For the most part, his percentage came from uh, from taking, and this this was the majority of his threes were just wide open. That's a very useful skill to have, shooting forty one percent on on wide open catch and shoots. But I think uh, ultimately, if I had to pick between him, maybe uh, generating some some very tertiary creation or being able to take more difficult threes off the move around screens and whatnot, I'd go with the latter. I think that's just going to be more more to his strengths. But twenty points per game, even like sixteen points per game, is a lot to ask. And well, what did he have? Fourteen and a half. What was it? I, I don't remember what it was, but uh, but twenty points that. per game. I mean, not many guys in the NBA can do that. I I, I don't know. I think prime. Guys. I think prime Sadiq Bay can be a much better player than a lot of people give him credit for. I really yeah. do. And if in season two, his coach is already saying that he's got the green light, it's it's that's Casey. But, it's well, yeah, Casey. but it is Casey. But the path he's not saying that about you know he's not coming out and being like, well, oh, Killian's going to go for 30, 40, because he knows that's not true. <laughs> he knows that's, that's not true. I have a better chance of going for forty than Killian does. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's true. But uh, you haven't seen my but Yeah, it's really bad. Gotcha. Fair <laughs> like, enough. I hope you guys get my point. And my point is that when he's in his prime, which he has the path to get to, he's being given all of the leeway to really improve as a player. You know, he could be something. He really could be. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And I have a take on this that kind of addresses both of you guys, because Mike, I know that you don't like the mid range because it's not an efficient shot. And I I understand that. But every team takes mid range shots. And part of the reason I've made this argument in the past, your primary ball handlers should be taking mid-range. You should be a three-level scorer. Uh, they're yes, even coming ideally. up with the new term of four-level scorer, those guys who can take like the deep three because that's another level of defense that the uh, that the opposition has to account for. But yes. that's kind of yes. what, when you when you talk about what Sadiq can be, if you want him to be a volume scorer, like you can say primary ball handlers, but maybe you can expand that out to just volume scores. And if Sadiq Bey is going to be a guy who's going to go for like upwards of 18 points per game at some point in his career, he should be a guy who can uh, do more than just shoot threes. You know, it's 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 all going to come down to the percentage that he can shoot it at. Like you said, Mike, he's not doing all that well on these more difficult threes. He was a lot better on catch and shoot, and that is like the definition of a role player, three and D. But if Sadiq is looking to expand, if he is looking to be a more potent offensive force, 
uh, it is important for him to expand his offensive game. So that is something to look for. He's in year two. It's, it's hard to put a ceiling on him right now. He's trying to add more. So that's just going to be something that we keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, those improvements are threefold, right? If, if, if we look at it as an equation, what are the three things you need to improve as a player? You need talent, you need work ethic, and you need opportunity. We know Sadiq's got the talent, right? He was a top 20 pick, highly lauded, came in and was an incredible shooter right off the rip. Okay, maybe incredible is a stretch, very good shooter right off the rip. He's obviously got the work ethic. There was a Keith Langlois article that just came out. I was reading it before we started recording, actually. He said something like Sadiq took five hours off between the end of the season and then starting to train again. It was something crazy like that. He's been busting his butt clearly all through the offseason, and then you're seeing this pay dividends by his willingness to be assertive in these games. And then third, does he have the opportunity? Well, that Casey quote is is case in point. I understand that he can, you know, be a little bit, uh, bit a little bit of a fluff piece machine. I understand that. But he has the opportunity. He very clearly does. And he's got the support of the coaching staff. He's got the support of the other players. And he's going to be empowered to make these strides in his game. So the recipes and the elements for this equation are all there. It just depends on, you know, how he finishes this out, what he does to truly become an improved scorer. And I love the term, Tommy, four-level scorer, because you <laughs> imagine Sadiq just bombing threes from the logo. He already did once. He already did. <laughs> so why not start doing that on yeah. a consistent basis, right? Uh, I would say, Tommy, in response to what you said about players should have the mid-range game, uh, yeah, it's nice to have. Most players just don't take a lot of shots from there because it's not worthwhile. The efficiency baseline in the NBA and the – and the spacing and analytics era is so high that it's often just not worth taking those shots. And in the shots that, that are taken from mid range are generally fall into three categories. Number one, a late in a shot clock. It's just, a, you know, you have to make something out of nothing. Uh, star players who are actually able to make it efficient. There are not many of those uh, or just star players who are just taking the shot because they're one of the creators and, you know, they just they end up taking the shot so it, it's real nice to have, but you've got some elite players who, who don't bother because it's just not worthwhile. <laughs> of course, yeah, a lot of the – I mean, you look at you look at certain players who are taking mid-range offense. Russell Westbrook, of course, led the league in it, shockingly. <laughs> well, he's, he's not who I'm yeah. advocating for. Yeah, I know. I know he's not no. who you're advocating, but I'm saying no. when, you, when you're looking at, yeah, teams do, do, do attempt it, it's true, but – there, there just aren't that many guys who do, and it's, it's just not good offense. So it, yeah, my it's, point it's is not, that... Yeah. But yeah. unless I'm misconstruing Tommy, Tommy, aren't you saying it's not necessarily taking the shot, it's the threat of the shot? It's how the defense has to guard you knowing that you can conceivably make that shot? Yeah, exactly. if, if you're left open. That's, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. In any event, though, yeah, we're... Uh, I, I, I think we've... we've. If you guys don't mind, uh, we've already spent quite a bit of time talking about Sadiq Bay. We're near about a half hour here. I could spend a few more hours. <laughs> yeah, I know you could. Uh, we can. Move so, on. <laughs> yeah, why don't uh, why don't we move on to to further takeaways? You've got Josh Jackson, of course, who came in, and I would never take anything away from this game <laughs> based on Josh Jackson because we know if he gets hot, he gets hot. Oh yeah, and uh, oh, yeah. and he and he got hot and stopped passing the ball, uh, which uh, you know whatever. It's a preseason game. I don't care. Of course, the second I I saw him go for that uh, kind of pull up sidestep. Uh, two pointer from just like inside the three point line. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, okay, so not much has changed. And yeah, in any case, I mean, Josh has kind of like an uphill battle. I feel like in the rotation right now, you've got whether it's Kate or Killian playing at the two, 
and you've got Sadiq Bey, who's the presumptive starter at the three. Uh, he'll be going up against Hamadou Diallo. We all know that the organization is pretty high on Hamadou, based at least on what Troy Weaver has said. And Frank Jackson has to be in the second. Yeah, unit. Frank Jackson. Yeah, Frank Jackson yeah. will be in there, if, assuming he can come in and replicate last season's performance. That's just a very it's very valuable to have a guy who can. Uh, who can come around screens and around uh, uh, and, and take handoffs or whatever else, just shoot threes on the move at high percentage. So yeah, I'd say Josh has an uphill battle to make the rotation. And, you know, if he can make the the threes, he was, he made a couple of, uh, of threes off the move in that game. And sure, if he now has that skill to do that consistently, then he gives himself a better shot, but consistency and the ability to shoot at a decent or reliable percent, reliably shoot at a decent percentage on a consistent basis from the perimeter. I mean, that is, that is the most important thing for him. And I've said it in the past, if he can, if he can shoot threes reliably, then what you do, you don't let him handle the ball. You just say, well, we're going to have you shoot threes. We're going to have you catch the ball off the move and attack the baskets. We're going to have you cut to the basket, catch lobs and run in transition. And that's a valuable player. He's highly athletic, but, but him becoming a reliable three point shooter would be a huge, you know, like a, that'd be a big step for him since that's been a career long struggle. Yeah. And now a quick word from our sponsors. With football right around the corner, it's time to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. So listen up, you're not going to want to miss the details. Simply head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now Place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, don't worry, it's not a big deal because DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. As for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million dollar top prize, which adds to the excitement of the game. Nothing quite adds to it like a free shot at a million dollar top prize. So with that being said, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. Get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Who do you think comes out of the rotation for Frank Jackson? Because I think he has to come back in. I think just based on last season, he proved too valuable. You think it's a lot of I think probably Rodney Magruder. <laughs> oh no, oh, man. no the, um, the second, they, this is the thing that they tried That's to do quite a claim. Casey wanted to keep the second unit intact I think that what we saw is actually pretty accurate they put Saban Lee and Rodney Magruder in the starting lineup in the place of Caden Killian so that they could keep that second unit together so I think I that what we saw yeah. on was it Wednesday I think that is actually fairly close to what we're going to see I think Frank Jackson slots in for one of those guys Casey said 10 man rotation one of those guys drops out Lyles has size but I think he showed he and he showed more utility in that game, but Josh Jackson has more upside, and I think truthfully, people just like him more. It's like a, a Detroiter versus a guy who says he doesn't like Detroit. <laughs> it's I mean, people want it to be one guy for sure, but who do you think would I mean, have I to know. if you had to call it? I mean, by by Monday, we'll probably know if Frank because I think Frank Jackson is supposed to come back by Monday. Who do you think would come out? 
Well, if the premise is that Frank absolutely has to be in the rotation, which in my opinion he does. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. absolutely. I absolutely agree. But but my issue is, so who who would play the four then, right? Because oh. we bump Lyles out of the rotation. Jeremy, I, yeah, Jeremy and Kelly Olenek will play, I think, significant amount of minutes at the four. Uh, you'll see Sadiq play some minutes at the four. I, I think Lyles is just going to be a bench guy, uh, just an end-of-the-bench guy who plays some third strings. No, I just, I just meant on the bench unit in particular. Like if we got yeah. to start out a five-man lineup and we got, a, we got a slot Frank in there, it's a good question because I liked what I saw on Wednesday, but Frank absolutely has to play. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Lyles is the odd man out, but I, I Tommy, I, I get what you're going for with, with Josh having, you know, higher upside. And I don't think Josh will, you know, be bumped out of the rotation, but if it was up to me, I would probably rather have Trey Lyles playing within himself, relocating on the perimeter and just hitting his open threes rather than watching Josh not pass the ball for the entire season. I would, that's me personally, but yeah, I would, I don't think that I would say, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. I would say a bigger question is, I mean, you're looking at what's kind of, I don't know if you want to call it deep because we're trying to see which of these guys are going to be long-term NBA players, but you've got a fairly deep pool on the wing between, uh, you know, at least the shooting guard and small forward positions rather between a Bay, of course, you've got Cade and, uh, and you've got Killian Hayes who are going to be spending time that shooting guard, of course, who knows, maybe you'll see K play some minutes up to small forward. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever the case, you've got Frank Jackson in there. You have Josh Jackson. You have Hamadou Diallo. And so uh, it's, I think it's a question of who's going to fall out and, and, uh, and I'm from amongst that group. And it might just come down to Josh, ja- to, to Jackson and Diallo. Of course, this is, depending upon injuries and, and whatever else. But yeah, I think it could come down to those two. And I just think, again, if you can, if you can shove Josh Jackson into that role, if he becomes a good shooter and you can just say, well, this is the role you're going to play. And then Josh is willing to do that. And you can minimize the impact of his poor decision-making his awful court vision and passing and just his bad overall offensive IQ, then fine. He's got a space as a rotation player in the NBA. Absolutely. But he's got a lot to prove before he can do that. Yeah. As far as just made my argument for me. Yeah, it's just you can't teach. I think at this point, it's like you can't teach Josh Jackson how to. I don't think you can teach basketball IQ in general. But no. You can't. And what is this year five he's going into? This year is year four? five. This is year five he's going into. Yeah. yeah. Well, how tough is it to rewire what he's presumably been operating with in his brain for his entire basketball career, right? Like Josh sort of is what he is. And if mm-hmm. this environment that Weaver and Casey created last season, where it's very much a, you know, a team mentality and play within yourself and just be a part of a team, if that didn't iron this out of him, I'm not sure why this year would be any different. So my level of optimism that Josh will ever become like a, just a cog in the offense, you know, someone who plays within himself and doesn't try to take over every time he hits two shots in a row is zero. I don't think he's ever going to grow out of that. I don't. He's got He's got to have that uh, the, the off-ball utility as well. Last season, he played so much oh, he because the yeah because the Pistons yeah. had very little in the way of in the way of anybody who could create offense. And but the problem is, last season, not only did he have all the aforementioned flaws, but he, I mean, he was just he was a high volume, low efficiency scorer on a bad team, and you just you just can't work out that way. So, yeah, what I've just what I went over the three and D guy. Is, is I think the only way he's going to stay in the league. I don't think he's ever going to be the kind of player he wants to be, that sort of takeover scorer who plays with the ball. And uh, and I wonder if he if he knows that that's not a viable 
really viable way for him to play in the NBA. Uh, just, you know, ball in hands, attack the basket, shoot off the dribble score. Um, anyway, uh, so we saw, we saw Diallo as well, who came in and played kind of more of a, uh, less of a role. I mean, I think he's just not willing to look for his own shot as much as, as Jackson is. I, I really like Diallo. He, I'd like to see him, uh, attempt more threes so we can see where he is at that point. But man, even if we're talking about in the context of Josh Jackson, Diallo is so athletic. Yeah. He's, he's so athletic. I know there was, so they do uh, a survey from the league's general managers every year. And uh, Diallo actually got at least one vote. I mean, he was, he was on the list and I don't know who knows, maybe this is Weaver, but I, <laughs> whatever the case <laughs> he got, uh, he was on the list for most athletic player in the NBA. And, uh, you know, that, that should come as no surprise to anybody who's watching him play. I mean, the guy is an incredible athlete. And, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. almost superhuman. It's crazy. I agree. Yeah. I think he's more athletic than Josh Jackson. Who's incredible. Oh, absolutely. Athletic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've, I've been on record. I think Hamadou could be a really good player in the NBA if he can get that three point shot under control. And, but, but I mean, he kind of just came out there and floated a bit. I, that, that's partially probably just the nature of a preseason game, but uh, I don't really even know where I was going with this. It's just, it was, it was fun to see him out in the yeah, floor. You were saying yeah, things I, that you would like to see him do, right? Yeah. Well, I, guess I would like to see one of the yeah, other I mean, just my point is there was no real takeaway, but yeah, no, he did. Yeah, I was actually really happy with what we, what we saw from Hamid. I think he's probably the biggest beneficiary uh, compared to last season of playing next to Kelly Olenek. He was getting to the rim a lot more easily with that open space there. And I, I don't watch him as closely as you do because I'm not, uh, the Hamadou stand of the three of us, but when I when I did see him, you know, he was attacking the the basket, and he had far more in the way of open lanes to get to the rim, and that's encouraging because that's exactly what you that's exactly what Hamadou needs right now to uh, make the most of his probably best skill, which is that athleticism. But I'm with you, Mike. Like if he if he could shoot threes, uh, and if he had decent spacing around him, like he could he could he could expand his game so much. Uh, he just needs to ena- he needs to enable himself by getting the defense to close out more honestly. Because how do you stop a guy who's more athletic than you? You got to give, if, especially if he can't shoot. You just need to give him some space because you need to be you need to give yourself that extra moment to stay in front of him. Because when he takes off, like he is a rocket, he has a fantastic first step. We all know this, but mm-hmm. right now he's got the, the team around him, the roster around him with that that second unit. I think it's it's really going to benefit his game this year. I expect uh, a lot more Hamadou dunks this season. That's going to be something to keep an eye on, but absolutely. We just, I know we all want to see what he can do in terms of the three ball. They were talking about it in some of these preseason or training camp interviews. Uh, I think Hamadou even said, he's like, I want to keep my three point percentage where it is because he finished the season with the Pistons at like 39%, but it was on like what two attempts a game. Like some yeah, games was, wasn't even trying that. I think in one, he had a quarter of his makes in one game, that one game against yeah. the Hornets in which he scored, I think, nearly 30 points. Right. And so he's aware of the problem. He knows what he needs to work on. It's uh, Obviously, the coaching staff is aware of it, but he is too. So maybe that is something that he's going to continue to look for this season. But uh, I was happy with what we saw from him because he definitely made the most of that extra spacing that was around him in the second unit. I hope he is the guy who sticks into the rotation. Uh, just going back to the Josh Jackson thing, I think Josh Jackson is the – the one who naturally falls out, assuming the trail aisles can keep up uh, the three-point shooting. I think that's his big edge. You know, you want that spacing. That's paramount for a second unit. Yeah, of course. But, yeah. Uh, 
yeah. Hamadou Diallo. We just I, I want to keep an eye on him, same as you all, and we'll see what he can do this season. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this: the only the only person who can stop Hamadou Diallo with a good three point shot is Hamadou Diallo. You know, <laughs> because he has such a fabulous first step that if you have to give him even a little bit of space, like you said, Tommy, um, he'll just beat you with the three. And then if you press up on him, he's just going to blow by you. You know, it's sort of a pick your poison type of situation with him if he could get that three point shot down. So I would say that, uh, Mike, I think you've said that he has the highest ceiling on the team. I don't know if you've no, not, not the highest ceiling, but he's, he's one of the highest. Ceilings. One of the highest ceilings. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think so, too. So what does he work on now? He works on keeping his three point percentage where it is. And that's not um, it was on such low volume that you can't really say, oh, just repeat your performance from last year. He has to substantially improve his three point shooting. And being that he is the beneficiary of all this extra space now that Olenek's out there and now that Lyles is out there, he has to be even more assertive than he already is, recognize when he's got even, you know, a nanometer of space to go and just go. Because if he heads to the basket with assertiveness, no one's stopping him. So it's just a matter of having that touch around the rim and finishing. But uh, yeah, let's see how that three-point percentage goes. But uh, if he can improve that, it's <laughs> things are looking good for him. And I would definitely prefer him to Josh Jackson. Like, not even a question. 100%. Yeah, I did notice his, he was a little hesitant to take threes and that his release is still kind of slow. Like even last season, he seemed to do a little bit better when he shot off the pull-up than when he shot off the catch-and-shoot. He's just When he catches the ball at the three-point line, he seems to be a little bit tentative, but hopefully that improves over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a confidence thing. You know, He seems like a confident player, but he seems to perform a lot better when he's already in motion or in rhythm. And that, yeah, when he takes the catch and th- shoot three, there's almost a moment of hesitancy, like a little bit of a hitch in his shot. But when he's like smooth and he just sort of transitions into a shot, it looks a lot better. So yeah. I don't know if that's something that the coaching staff can work on him with, but uh, maybe the key to unlocking his full potential. Yeah. Uh, so one uh, final for me uh, takeaway, I think we've gone over almost everybody. Uh, uh, Jeremy Grant, I don't think there was really much to, much to say about him. He pretty much looked, much like he did last season, we'll see going into the season itself if uh, you know if, if he's made uh, any improvements. I suppose uh, I, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about him. I will say Luca Garzu came in late. The crowd went crazy. I knew he was gonna. I yeah. knew they were gonna. I was like, the second Garza checks in, this crowd is gonna explode, and it was so nice to hear it on TV. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, they just uh, everybody just loved that guy. Yeah. Um, all right. Any uh, any further takeaways before we move on to uh, user submitted questions? Uh, well, I'll I'll say this about Jeremy, and then I don't know if Tommy has anything to add to it. But um, we sort of saw, th- and this is kind of what happened with Jeremy in the tail end of the season was that he started off so hot in this game, and then he disappeared for a little bit. And I had attributed that previously to tired legs or the fact that he has to take on this titanic workload. But I'm hoping when you've got a Cade Cunningham, you know who's also able to create offense out there and the whole uh, shouldering the entire load is not on Jeremy Grant. I hope that he can remain consistent, you know, remain efficient all throughout the game. So then even though he's not maybe the only primary scorer anymore, maybe he can actually up his scoring in the presence of another creator because he's not going to disappear just from being tired and just from the other team zeroing in on him. I think that the inclusion of so many other threats, specifically Cade, is going to be so beneficial to Jeremy. So I'm really looking forward to see how the two of them cooperate. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I, that's one of the things that all of us are waiting on for sure. Uh, having that kind of talent, seeing how they split those duties for sure. I uh, can't wait to see it. Can't wait for Cade Cunningham to get out on the floor. Going to be yeah, great. Definitely. 
uh, we're only at this point uh, 11 days away from opening night. So, uh, all right. So we're going to move on to user-submitted questions. We're planning on making this a regular segment at the end of every show. Uh, if you'd like to submit questions, you can do so uh, by Twitter. We're at to the basket pod. Uh, also, you can find us on on the Detroit Pistons Discord server uh, or message us through Reddit. So, uh, first question that was submitted uh, was uh, given the the weird year, referring to last season, uh, and his injury should Killian get the full season before fans are ready to pass judgments. Tommy, you want to take this one, or you want me to go? You can go first. I gotta. I gotta get. I can... So should should he be given a full season before the fans turn on him? I mean, it's 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 a funny question because it doesn't really matter what the fans think, right? What what matters is what Casey and Weaver thinks, and I'm on record saying that I think Killian has a long leash. I don't think it's because of sunk cost fallacy. I think it's because he was picked where he was because Weaver and Casey saw the potential in him. I think that they believe that he has an upside that's higher than anybody else who can play the one on the team, which I believe that as well, but it's a matter of putting it all together. So while I think that he's going to be given the full year by the front office, or maybe at least up until the trade deadline to show something, I'm also cognizant of the fact that professional sports are results oriented. A lot of it is what have you done for me lately? And it is absolutely critical that Killian shows the ability to be an NBA player and not only an NBA player, an effective NBA player, one who can build upon the foundation that he already has and improve and become a very good player. If he doesn't show that within, um, you know, the context of starting this year along a much more talented team that he had last season, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he doesn't show something relatively soon. I'm pretty concerned. I think that there's something to being patient, but at the same time, we were patient with Seku too. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so I don't know. What do you think, Tommy? Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I guess the if the answer is, should we give him a full year? Yes, you should. Are we? No, I very much doubt it. There are expectations for this year. And I say that as somebody who's perfectly fine uh, with being a garbage team again and getting another top five pick because I see some talent in this next draft. But we we want to see what Killing can do, and last year was just such a massive disappointment. Not even by rookie stand, like by NBA standards, not even by rookie standards. He was awful, and he didn't show much. All the only thing that I saw that I kind of liked from him was obviously the passing, the defense, uh, the floater wasn't a terrible shot for him. Mike, I know you don't like that shot, but I think that if he's going to be a point guard, it's something he should have. And then the catch and shoot three. So I don't even know what he what they plan to do with him, honestly, because. We, we, I think in the depth chart, Cade is listed as, listed as a shooting guard. And I know that you guys, I don't think any of us really want Killian Hayes to be the primary ball handler over Cade Cunningham uh, for the full year. You know, I think fairly quickly yeah, we but, want that to be transitioned over to Cade. Mm-hmm. But but he has to be. There, there's, I mean, yeah, there's just, there's just expectations. You know, if, if, yeah. if Killian is like Alonzo Ball type, that's not the ideal fit because he's not athletic enough. So I... I just I was thinking about this recently. I don't think that they're a good long term fit. I don't know what the solution is there, but regardless, you need even if you if even if you want to just trade him down the line, let him boost his value, let him show that he is something. Make the issue that there's Killing Hayes is too good to be splitting the ball handling duties with Cade with anybody. Like he needs to move on because it's not a good fit, uh, because he's too good, not because he's god awful. So maybe we need to be patient, but I, I don't think I'm going to be honestly. I want to see what he can do. 
So I'll say that like, I don't agree that I don't agree with the characterization of his rookie season because he spent the first part of it just in a, this absolutely an utterly bizarre role that we've, we've talked about in the show quite a few times uh, just basically having no defined role at all, like give the ball to Griffin and just stand around and do nothing. And then he got injured. And then for much of his, the rest of the season after he returns, he was ramping up in his return from that injury. I'm not going to say he was a good player by any means, uh, even, you know, even after his return, the, the Pistons scored about a hundred points per hundred possessions with Killian on the floor, which would have ranked them worse than the thunder on the season. So the, the like worst than the worst ranked offense, they were, they weren't a great offense without him, but they were significantly better. So uh, he, he came in with no NBA offseason. He had that issue. He had his injury and, uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think that he should be given, uh, I, I think that this, this question is, you know, should the, should he get the full season before fans are ready to pass judgment? I think so. I think this is effectively his rookie season. I think he did come in with some, uh, d- definitely with some issues as far as uh, left-hand dominance and uh, hesitance to actually drive to and finish at the rim. Uh, he did t- a terrible job in the restricted area. I think that, yeah, I think he should be given a full season. I really think this should be treated as his rookie season. Now, I also think that expectations should be tempered in the context of Cade now being on the team, Cade profiling uh, you know, the hope is that he will be this sort of highly effective heliocentric uh, ball handler. And in that context, Killian, who was brought on, it was hoped he could be the point guard of the future, now has a by default reduced role. So I think that that should be kept in mind. I agree with Tommy that you want to see him, you want to see him do well, no matter, obviously you want to see him do well, no matter what. I just think that if he does play well, uh, the I, I don't think he has a long-term future with the team, to put it this way. Uh, the issue with the Lonzo ball, ball roll is that with he and, and Cade and Sadiq in the starting lineup, you just don't have much athleticism there. And it's nice to have guys who can jump high and move explosively off the ball. And Jeremy Grant would be the only one in the starting lineup who can do that. But I would give him the whole year. Uh, it's possible he'll end up on the bench, not playing a ton of minutes. But I think you, you live with that and you pass final judgments maybe about halfway through his 2022-2023 uh, his season. That's fair. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, even if the team finds some success in the first half of the season and are in the play-in race, do you think Weaver would still be looking to trade players? Obviously not the younger ones that can get him a first-round pick. Um. No. No. I think if the team is in the play-in race, then it's in the best interest of the club to pursue winning. Uh, maybe that's the jaded Lions, Pistons, Leafs, Tigers fan in me but I'm just so sick of losing. Um, and I don't think Weaver came here with the intent to lose as many games as possible. I think he sought to put a competent team on the floor last year. That wouldn't be a total embarrassment every time they took the floor. And when it was clear that they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league, he embraced it. And that was for the better. But I think the squad is significantly improved this year, especially with the spacing on the bench that we spent you know, so long talking about in this episode alone. And if the team is good heading into the trade deadline, you know, if they're competing for a play-in spot, what sort of message does it send to the team to start shipping out all of the players with value you know, that are over the age of 25 for draft picks? That's sending the message to the club that you don't believe in them to do anything. And that's, in my opinion, bad form. If they're winning games, if they're gelling, if they're cohesive, just let them go. 
keep the squad together. Let them win as many games as possible because honestly, that may be what's in the best long-term interest of the team. So I would say absolutely not. So I would say that it's a situation that's unlikely to come to pass uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, rather my answer would be uh, no, but but uh, well, let me expand. So if the Pistons are on the play-in race, it means that probably you've got some of these veterans who are contributing. You're talking about, okay, you don't trade the young guys. And in, in that event, I don't think you break that up. I, I think you just go ahead with that and and probably keep these guys around. I mean, I think you're if you're talking guys who can be traded for first-round picks, there aren't a ton of veterans on this team. Like maybe if Corey Joseph is having a great season, you can trade him for, though, though he has a uh, full no trade clause, Corey Joseph would need to approve any trade that is made. So in that case, sure, you you might be able to trade him for like a pick in the late, uh, in the late first round. Who knows? And and Grant, of course, who aside from Cade, will probably retain the most value, most trade value on the team. But uh, Grant is probably here for the long term. Uh, I would say at, at least through the end of the season. Just in general, though, if you're if you're on the verge, if you're in the play-in race, and and you're and the Pistons clearly aren't in the full rebuild, I don't think that they're just going to say, well, we. Uh, we have the pieces we need and we might be in the play race, but we're just going to start trading guys away. I don't think that's likely to happen just based on what they're trying to do here with this not being like a full multi-year rebuild and or not a full multi-year let's be bad rebuild. But also, uh, if the Pistons are in the play race, uh yeah, I guess I guess I already kind of kind of answered that. The only the only situation in which I would see them trading players is if you've got veterans who have just fallen out of the rotation, but still somehow retain value. And I don't think that's likely to be the case, unless you've just got a lot of players playing really well, and it's just like, well, we can do without this veteran. But again, the only veterans I see who are really going to have that value are Grant and Joseph, and I don't see Grant going anywhere. Uh, Joseph, maybe, but I just don't see a situation in which he's playing well enough to be worth that draft capital, but uh, has been overshadowed in the rotation uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I don't think that much is going to happen. One, because it's hard to imagine significant value coming from the veterans that we have, but also I don't really see too, too many guys on this roster that I want to get rid of, especially in terms of like the older players. Um, I think you would, if you are looking to upgrade, well, the question was, do we tank it out by trading away talent? Uh, I don't think that would happen. And part of it is just that I like the veterans that we have on this team. Jeremy Grant, obviously, like he's not too old to fit the timeline of this team. And it's good to have uh, some, like a respected veteran, a guy who, who started from really far down on uh, the the depth chart, really. I mean, he was on the process Sixers, you know, and he was, yeah, take, he well, he was taking good. second round. Yeah, he's come a long way, and I'm sure that that's respected in the locker room amongst these young guys. You know, that's important. Corey Joseph, he's already developed. This has been uh, reported on. He has a good relationship with Killian, and I think that Killian could learn a lot from Corey Joseph, quite frankly. Corey Joseph, he was attacking the basket. He was playing aggressively. Uh, I would not be surprised if by season, mid-season, those two are the bench unit, Killian and Corey. And I, I think that uh, Killian could benefit a lot from Corey Joseph. It's not going to be like a situation like 
midseason last year where DeLon Wright was playing too well, and we traded for what we thought at the time was a worse player in Corey Joseph. It's I think it's more a matter of there's nobody on this team that I want to get rid of, and there's nobody who's going to net a significant value. I mean, you could talk about Kelly Olynyk, who had a really good uh, second half of the season last year with Houston. Even him, I think he's paid just a little too much to net you anything significant. I could see him maybe as part of a package deal, but at the same time, he's opened up the offense tremendously, and he's a really nice backup to Isaiah Stewart and Jeremy Grant, a good a good piece to have. So I don't see it happening. Um, if we are headed for the play-in, which I I don't think is likely, the Bulls even absolutely slaughtering teams right now. I think that they're going to knock, they're going to make their way into the playoffs. Uh, I know early returns, but I just don't see that happening. And even if we were in play-in territory, I just don't think it's necessary uh, to trade anybody. I think kind of maintaining some stability. I think everybody on this team has a role and an important role that should be respected. I completely forgot about Kelly, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, oddly enough, as far as, as far as veterans go, but I'd say that if he's traded, it will likely be as part of some package for another player rather than. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I, if there was a trade that was going to happen mid season, I think it's like Sadiq Bay gets packaged with somebody and you upgrade somebody at the wing. You know, it's that sort of yeah. thing. I don't think they're just going to start trading away veterans for the marginal return that you would get from them so yeah i i, I have I, trouble seeing it yeah I, I don't think you're gonna see sadiq traded right now as is anything short of a uh, you know a, a large component for the conceivable you know star you know for a star player and i don't i don't think uh, i don't think sadiq bay has enough value for that and yeah uh and i don't think the pistons can pull that off without including draft picks which they can't do right now you know the pistons literally can't trade a first round draft pick uh until that pick conveys or until I believe 2029. So yeah, it's, yeah. All right, folks. Yeah. So that'll, uh, that's going to be the end of this show uh, as always. I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Uh, reiterates. We're always happy to hear from, uh, from any of you as far as feedback ideas about future episodes uh, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, feel free to reach out again on Twitter to the basket pod. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode.